Here they come. Right now, they're gathering from hospitals all across America for Talk 10 Tuesday. They know there's important news and information just ahead. Don't miss out. Come in, sit down, and log on. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and co-host Dr. Erica Reamer. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 363rd edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. brought to you today by the American Health Information Management Association. We know them, of course, as AHIMA. And joining me this morning is my co-host, the very popular Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer is the president and the founder of Erica Reamer, MD Incorporated. And good morning, Erica. Good morning, Chuck, and hello, everyone. This morning, our lead story is about CDI in the UAE. Now, I know we talk about inpatient and outpatient CDI, but this morning we're going to be talking about CDI in the Middle East, specifically the United Arab Emirates. I do know that World Health Day is April 7th, as it has been since 1950. Yes, indeed. Think of today's Talk 10 Tuesday as a run-up to World Health Day. In fact, the founder of the AHIMA World Congress, Alexander Boucher, will report on AHIMA's international efforts. And Dr. Wilbur Lowe has returned. He has, indeed. Dr. Lowe is going to be reporting on a different kind of DRG. It's the International Refined DRG, otherwise known as the IRDRG. That's compared to the 3M all-patient refined DRG. Got that? This sounds very much like the International Hour. Yeah, it is very much like the International Hour, except we only have 30 minutes, not an hour. Also in today's Talk 10 Tuesday, Stanley Nockerson has returned with his RegWatch series, and of course you're going to be reporting on opioids. Uh, yes, I'm going to be talking about substance use disorder and how it relates to when a patient is on prescribed opioid medication. Mm, boy, that's a big hot topic. It's getting a lot of national news coverage. And speaking of news, we have much to report this morning. We begin with Tim Powell, who's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by ICD University, inviting you to listen to the cardiovascular ICD 10 PCS coding webcast. Download it by clicking on the handout tab in today's broadcast. Here now is Tim Powell. Thanks, Chuck. In a battle to make the Hatfield and the McCoys look like a live-in, the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, UPMC, has filed a federal lawsuit against Pennsylvania State's Attorney General in its ongoing battle with Highmark. Highmark was created by the consolidation of two Pennsylvania licensees of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association, Pennsylvania Blue Shield and Blue Cross of Western Pennsylvania. In 2011, Highmark bought West Penn Allegheny Health Systems, and the war started with Highmark that moved from being a third-party payer to a direct competitor of UPMC. UPMC got into the insurance market in the same way that Highmark had moved into the provider area. Patient access to doctors was caught in the battle between the conflicting institutions. Highmark had sued UPMC alleging that UPMC had overbuilt it by over $300 million for cancer drugs, and in arbitration, UPMC was ordered to pay $188 million to Highmark. UPMC's health care plans don't want to contract with hospitals and physician groups controlled by Highmark, doing business as West Allegheny Health Systems. Pennsylvania's Attorney General has filed petition to amend a five-year-old consent decree that allows some people with Highmark health insurance to continue seeing UPMC doctors until July 1st of this year. The lawsuit said that in a November meeting in Harrisburg with UPMC officials, Mr. Shapiro, the Attorney General, asserted that he has vast authority over all Pennsylvania nonprofit entities and that nonprofit health plans must contract 
with any healthcare provider seeking a commercial or Medicare Advantage agreement to maintain their nonprofit status. So here are some of my questions moving forward. Historically, the provider world and the payer world have not mixed well. How can and should state and federal governments handle access issues in the current environment? When is it of public interest that an entity may be both a payer and a provider that uses its control of the market to force others out or to pay more? How should nonprofit entities be regulated when they use their control of a market to choke out competition? And is it fair to tie the hands of nonprofits and make them contract with for-profit plans and com- when for-profit plans are not forced to contract in a similar manner? These are questions, and I have no solutions. And with that, back to you. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert and an IC10 Monitor National Correspondent. It's Tuesday. It's April the 2nd, 2019, and you're listening to this 363rd edition of Talk in Tuesday. Stand by. How can you better support your team? Take your knowledge to the next level with advanced coding knowledge from Ahima's Crack the Codes Advanced Coding Workshop. Advance and grow your coding power in ICD-10-CM, ICD-10-PCS, or CPT by walking through actual redacted patient health records led by a coding expert. Encourage greater efficiency within your team. Raise the standard of healthcare information quality and assist your organization in meeting industry requirements. Don't miss this event taking place in Chicago starting June 10th. Visit ahima.org slash crack the codes to learn more and register. A couple of weeks ago, it was my pleasure to moderate a very important webcast on coding cardiovascular surgery. Boy, it's outstanding because it removes some of the uncertainty that many coders face when coding cardiac and vascular bypass procedures. Boy, it's now available on demand, and you can save 25 bucks when you enter the coupon code TUESDAY. All that information is available in the handout tab of today's Talk to you on Tuesday. Now's the time for RegWatch featuring nationally recognized healthcare technology expert Stanley Knox. And good morning, Stanley. Stanley, a lot of news coming out of Washington. What do we really need to know today? Good morning, Chuck, and to our special guests and to our audience. You know, last month we mentioned the complex interoperability proposed rules that were published by CMS and the Office of the National Coordinator. Several groups have asked for a 30-day extension of the usual 60-day comment period. The Association of EHR Vendors wrote a letter saying that CMS and ONC rules are substantive, and together the rules suggest complicated, significant adjustments to the complex regulations already governing the health IT industry. And other groups agreed. Provider organizations, including the American Medical Association, the Federation of American Hospitals, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, the Premier Healthcare Alliance, the Medical Group Management Association, the American Medical Group Association, and Children's Hospital Associations, among others, made similar requests to ONC and CMS. These groups also asked for adjustments to the implementation timeframes proposed in these rules. Well, it is possible for the agencies to grant extensions to the comment period 
it's usually not done. And to date, we've not heard anything from either agency indicating that they plan to extend the comment period. In fact, uh, they have mentioned that they have no intention to do so. So it'll be interesting to see um, if these organizations feel they have enough time to adequately comment on those rules. In other news, CMS announced their new compliance review program which in, to ensure compliance among covered entities with the HIPAA administrative simplification rules for electronic healthcare transactions. In April 2019, they will randomly select nine HIPAA-covered entities, a mix of health plans and clearinghouses for compliance reviews, and any of those health plans or clearinghouses, not those who just work with Medicare or Medicaid may be selected. Last year, HHS piloted this program with health plans and clearinghouse volunteers um, to identify any system enhancements and streamline the compliance review process. In 2019, providers will be able to participate in a separate pilot program on a voluntary basis. Now, this is really uh, an organization putting itself up to the federal government to find violations. Now, last year's pilot results indicated there were a number of compliance issues found in the reviews of the transactions. Among the participants, the most common violations included 42 uh, violations of the transaction standards, 15 violations of the code sets, 14 violations of the unique identifier rules, and three violations of the operating rules. Four clearinghouses and one health plan completed the, the pilot, and all but one of those entities underwent a corrective action plan as part of the pilot. Now, upcoming in the next month or so will be the annual cycle for the publishing of the proposed 2020 payment rules. We expect to see later this month or in early May proposed rules for inpatient hospital payments, skilled nursing facility payments, hospice payments, and inpatient rehab facility payments. These rules generally contain a number of policy issues that impact payments, Medicare payments to these particular uh, provider types, as well as coding and payment changes. We'll report on these as they are issued. And that's my report for this morning. Dr. Reamer, I will turn it back to you. Thanks, Stanley. That was very informative. I'd like to throw in my two cents that people should take the time to review and comment. I just gave my comments to the CDC on the ICD-10-CM proposed changes. That was healthcare IT authority, Stanley Nockhamson. Stanley is the founder of Nockhamson Advisors, LLC. Chuck. Thank you very much, Erica. And Stanley, thank you again for a very important report. As we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, today we're focusing on the international work being done by AHIMA. Here now is the creator of the AHIMA World Congress and its managing director, Alexander Boucher. Good morning, Alexander. Welcome to Talk to Tuesday. Boy, it sounds like some very exciting work being done outside the U.S. by AHIMA. Is that right? Yes, yes. And good morning and thank you, Chuck. And thank you for having me today. Um, a couple of, uh, couple of facts. AHIMA has over 103,000 members in uh, 66 countries, well, with its majority in the United States. Um, when I came on board in 2015, I realized that there's a great potential interest in AHIMA outside the U.S. Researched the markets and realized that while uh, we, are, uh, we have around a dozen countries that uses ICD-10-CM, there are around 30 with ICD-10-AM, which is uh, Australian modification. The rest is using 
ICD-10 WHO version and some individual country modifications. Number of countries actually still use ICD-9. We also realize that there's a very different demand for coding and reimbursement based on a single-payer versus multi-payer country systems. These findings would limit our focus for international work in a traditional way. But other observations led us to believe that we have a very strong applicability in need in various countries. It is CDI. We researched and sampled multiple medical records around the world and realized one thing is constant in every country. Every patient has a record. But what is very, very different is the quality of the documentation or patient record. We have seen records that would have one word in them. Just example, aspirin. And when coder would approach a doctor for clarification, it would meet with pushback and often rejection. We have seen examples of records where one added word recovered through a CDI query would add a 92,000 additional dollars in the revenue to a single reimbursement case. We also reviewed over 40 records for a hospital in UAE and have concluded that over 50% of coded for reimbursement cases needed either additional CDI query or additional coding to increase SOI or recommendations on decreasing LOS. Dr. Will Lowe, uh, who is working with me, will be um, uh, taking part in CDI, will provide an example today. In part, the HEMA World, Co World Congress, or AWC, has been created to address this urgent need to improve and often create the quality documentation processes and trainings to ensure its quality applications for improving patient care, increasing re according reimbursement, and ensuring quality of data outcomes, such as data analytics, informatics, etc. AWC is international arm of AHIMA and dedicated to support the profession around the world. We work with AHIMA individual members, certification holders, and customers in multiple GCC countries, Southeast Asia, Pacific, and Europe. However, in many countries, things are different. Example, Purchasing powers of individuals, social status, access to education training, career opportunities, role of women, reimbursement system, etc. We realize that it is very important and effective to support not just individuals but organizations as a complete ecosystem for development, management, and utilization of a quality documentation in healthcare settings. That is why we've created AWC organizational membership. It does not exist in the U.S. and focused on supporting, training, and recognizing healthcare organizations for its excellence in core competencies, medical coding, CDI, and quality documentation, privacy, data analytics, and informatics. There are three categories of organization memberships, healthcare organizations, which provide services to the end user, service providers who provide services to the healthcare organizations, and nonprofit and government bodies. Well, please connect with me and visit awc.world for more information. Thanks, Alexander. That was so interesting. I had no idea that a dozen countries use ICD-10-CM. How do you like that? That was Managing Editor of AHIMA World Congress, Alexander Boucher. Chuck? Thanks, Erica. And Alexander, thanks very much for a fascinating report. You know, usually at this point in our broadcast, we'll have our CDI report. Today, our CDI report is about CDI in the United Arab Emirates. 
here in this region, providers are experiencing some improved revenue, patient care, and also quality data, thanks to gap analysis that was performed by AHEMA World Congress. With more on this very important story, Dr. Wilbur Lowe. Good morning, Dr. Lowe. Welcome back to Talk 10 Tuesday. Good morning, Chuck. It is my pleasure to join my colleague Alexander and Tim Stanley and co-host Dr. Reamer on this broadcast. I am delighted to share with you some exciting opportunities for CDI in the UAE. I would like to begin with an overview of International Refined Diagnosis-Related Groups, IRDRGs, designed by 3M for International Healthcare. IRDRGs provide the same results in classifying patients regardless of the type of coding systems used and allows for uniform comparisons across countries. In the UAE, IRDRGs are used for ambulatory and all inpatient reimbursement and are generated by ICD-10-CM and CPT-4 codes. Procedures form the primary axis of classifications in IRDRGs as opposed to diagnoses in MSDRGs and APRDRGs. Unlike APRDRGs, which have four subclasses for severity of illness, SOI, and risk of mortality, ROM, IRDRGs have three subclasses for SOI and ROM, minor, moderate, and major. The APRDRG grouper logic is complex. In general, two secondary diagnoses with SOI4 or a combination of secondary diagnoses with SOI3 and 4 are required to generate composite APRDRG SOI4, the extreme subclass. In contrast, the composite IRDRG SOI hinges solely on the secondary diagnosis with the highest SOI score. This presents an exciting opportunity for CDI because only one secondary diagnosis with SOI3 instead of multiple secondary diagnoses is required to arrive at composite IRDRG SOI3. Assume a case with composite IRDRG SOI1. If the physician agrees with a query for a secondary diagnosis of acute respiratory failure with SOI3, the composite IRDRG SOI will shift from 1 to 3 with a substantial increase in IRDRG relative weight. The AAWC team generated a comprehensive gap analysis report for its newest organizational member, Al Lane Hospital, a state-of-the-art 402-bed acute care facility in the UAE. The gap analysis identified opportunities to increase the quality of clinical documentation and optimize patient care and safety. In a significant percentage of sample records, there were opportunities for CDI query generation, which would increase IRDRG relative weights, SY scores, and revenue. For instance, a case with major diagnostic category, MDC04, had a query opportunity that could shift IRDRG relative weight approximately six times from 0.3366 to 2.0041. Based on comparison of UAE hospitals with United States hospitals, AWC estimates that UAE hospitals can possibly generate between $4 million and $7.5 million in additional revenue each year once a CDI program is implemented streamlined, 
and optimized. Thank you so much, and back to you, Dr. Reamer. Thank you, Will. You know, this just goes to show all of you that uh, what I say, I can't keep track of the different risk adjustment models, but just make the patient look as sick and complex in the medical record as they look in real life, and you'll be good to go. That was educator and consultant Dr. Wilbur Lowe. Dr. Lowe is faculty for the AHIMA World Congress. Chuck? Thank you, Erica. And uh, Dr. Lowe, thank you so very much for being on our program, and thanks for a very interesting segment on CDI in the UAE. Now's the time for our very popular segment here at Talk to Enthusi, and that's called Talk Back, and it features our own Dr. Erica Reamer. And this morning, Erica has something very important to say about opioids. Erica? Chuck, I learned some interesting points about opioid documentation and coding last week while participating in my weekly CDI education session, and I wanted to share them with you. Opiate is the term for naturally occurring substances derived from the opium plant, and opioids are semi-synthetic and synthetic compounds designed to tickle the same receptors. ICD-10-CM and coding often lag behind medical advances, like remember the whole HFPEF and diastolic heart failure kerfuffle? Well, the Psychiatric Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-5, changed the terminology of substance abuse conditions a few years ago, and it has taken a little time for ICD-10-CM guidance to catch up. The current categorization is mild, moderate, and severe substance use disorder, which mirrors alcohol use disorder. The crosswalk is mild substance use disorder is coded with abuse in ICD-10, and moderate to severe substance abuse disorder goes to dependence. It is important to recognize that only pathology gets described as substance use disorders. If you are prescribed long-term opioids for medical conditions, like cancer pain control, you do not have a substance use disorder. Illicit drugs are always included in substance abuse disorder, like heroin. There are specific criteria, such as escalating amounts or taking the drug longer than intended, desire to control use, excessive time spent trying to obtain, using, or recovering from effects, inordinate craving, inability to function appropriately in society, tolerance, and withdrawal. Meeting two to three criteria signifies mild substance use disorder, four to five is moderate, and six or more is severe. Patients who are taking their prescribed narcotics in prescribed dosage at prescribed intervals do not have a substance use disorder, but they could have what my addictionologist friend calls uh, physiological dependence. If they run out of their medications, they might experience withdrawal, but we are causing the dependence intentionally by trying to alleviate pain. We used to say that if a patient had withdrawal, they were, by definition, dependent. In my research, I discovered that this type of patient, the duly prescribed patient who has no associated mental or behavioral disorder, should be coded with F11.93, opioid use unspecified with withdrawal. A patient who is maintained on opioids by their physician should have Z79.891, long-term use of opiate analgesic as a code as well. This combination of codes would say patient 
on legitimate opioids who had withdrawal. If a patient no longer meets criteria of substance use disorder, excluding craving, for three months up to a year, they are said to be in early remission. Sustained remission is a year or longer. If a patient is being maintained on methadone for illicit drug use, they are considered to have an ICD-10-CM dependence in remission. But you can't code anything without provider documentation. If you see methadone on the medication list, if there is a suggestion of previous drug abuse and it seems as though secondary diagnosis criteria are being met, you should query. Don't query just because a patient happens to be on an opioid medication, however, like for chronic pain, which, as an aside, is kind of a lousy choice, or for palliation. It will look like you're fishing for CCs. Please read my article on the documentation and coding of opioid use that we posted this morning on ICD-10 Monitor. Back to you, Chuck. Thanks very much, Erica. And by the way, you can read her excellent article on this very important subject. It is in today's ICD-10 Monitor News. Thanks again, Erica. We've got a couple of minutes remaining, and I want to circle back and ask Stanley a couple of questions. Stanley, you had mentioned about the comment period, and I'm reminded when there was the run-up to the new proposed uh, E&M code changes, all the comments were being uh, sent to CMS. Uh, I was amazed. Stanley, you say that CMS reads actually reads all these comments. Is that correct? Absolutely. They're, they're required to review and, if possible, respond to each and every uh, a public comment. There are a significant number of uh, regulatory uh, staff in the agency that, that tags all the comments and forms them out to the right staff people, and there are also a number of people that review the comments to assure that every uh, responsible comment was uh, responded to in some way, shape, or form. They may not respond to each individual comment, but if there is a comment on a particular topic, uh, they are required to put in some sort of a, a response as long as that topic is, is reasonable. I mean, we saw thousands and thousands of comments on the, on the, the HIPAA rule, the privacy rule, the, some of the transaction rules, um, and it's, it's quite a task to respond to those comments, and that's why there's such a long period between the end of the comment period and when the final rule is, is published. I would just like to say that um, I was just saying to my husband the other day that I had just spent two days going through, you know, watching the um, ICD-10-CM Coordination Maintenance Committee meeting and putting in my comments, and he said, why do you do that? And I said, because I actually feel empowered, like I am helping form ICD-CM and making changes, and I feel that I, I'm, I'm serving a really important role, and I would suggest other people to take the opportunity to make comments when they have something that's important to say. And I can tell you that on the federal regulatory website where you can enter your comments, they actually publish all of the comments that they've received. So uh, you can see each comment that has come in, and if you choose, you can make sure that uh, that comment was responded to appropriately in the final rule. So they're, they're, they're getting more and more transparent in this whole regulatory process, which is, you know, as Erica said, it's actually, you know, a citizen's, uh, a citizen's right to comment um, and a citizen's privilege 
to be able to comment to, to make sure that decisions the federal government makes are, are the right decisions for the country. And I think it's actually our responsibility. Chuck, I have one other thing I'd like to actually say. Um, I was really fascinated by our, our topic today because um, on LinkedIn, I've been getting a lot of requests from people in the UAE um, to be my LinkedIn buddy. And at first, I thought it was kind of a scam. I'm thinking, you know, the United States is the only country that uses ICD-10-CM. Why would these people be, you know, fishing for me to be their friend? And this explains it all. So I'm glad that I accepted those people's requests to be my friend. Thanks, Erica. Yeah, I would uh, certainly want you to be my friend as well. Thanks very much. And uh, I want to thank Alexander Boucher and Will Lowe, Dr. Will Lowe, that is, for bringing this very important subject to our attention today. Uh, that's going to be a wrap for this edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, and I want to thank you all very much for being with us today. And I want to thank our panelists, Tim Powell, Stanley Nockerson, Dr. Wilbur Lowe, and our special guest, Alexander Boucher. And remember, no matter where you are, you can always listen to all the Talk 10 Tuesday podcasts anytime, anywhere, on any device. It's absolutely free. You can listen to us on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Until we meet again next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck, reporting for Talk 10 Tuesday and ICD-10 Monitor. Thank you again for being with us today. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.